Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you all here. Welcome to everyone online. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And today I'm going to ask you a few different questions during the course of the sermon where I'm looking for responses from you. And we're just going to start right off with one right away. And I love hearing responses to this question. What is one of the first albums that you ever owned? First album you can ever remember owning? Whoa, 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 whoa. Red? I heard red. What was this over here? Back in Black, yeah. Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby. <laughs> That's so awesome. The way, what was that? George Strait, The Carpenters, The Doors. Oh man, The Doors, yeah. <laughs> One of the first albums that I can ever remember owning was Queen's Greatest Hits. I had it on cassette and I listened to that album so much. I listened to the car anytime my mom would let me. I remember sitting outside in the car as she was in the store and I would listen to the tape out in the car. I remember listening to, to it in my room all the time. I would listen to it on my Walkman when I was doing my paper route. And I'm starting to understand now like why the nostalgia of Stranger Things appeals to me in some way. As I listened, I would look at the cassette jacket, right, which had all the lyrics and pictures in it and everything, and that physical bodily aspect of that helped to solidify the rest of the experience of the album. I could think about the, the lyrics and the music, and it still does. It elicits certain feelings and emotions in me. And more than any album now, I remember all the songs and the order that they were on the album. These were Queen's greatest hits. I mean, they had like other greatest hits albums that came out later, but these, in my opinion, were the most memorable. We're talking about things like Killer Queen. Yep. Bohemian Rhapsody. Thank you, Wayne's World, for bringing that one back. You're my best friend. I love this album. Somebody to Love. You guys know these songs? You'll know this one. We Are the Champions. We Okay, if you didn't know that one, you're gonna know this one. We Will Rock You. Jeff's turning up the volume a little bit on this one. Yep, there you go. Another one bites the dust. And then one of my personal favorites, Don't Stop Me Now. I love that song. <laughs> All of that music is just embedded in me in some way. It's part of my story, and really it's connected to a lot of the core memories of my childhood. I memorized all the songs, 
but I never had to work at it. I just listened to the album so stinking much, and I loved it so much that the music just became a part of who I was. Now, I'm willing to bet you have some songs or some albums that have kind of played a similar role in your life. And for many of you, there are probably some passages of the Bible that are like that as well. Passages that have just had a big impact on you personally. Those that spoke to you at a time when you needed it the most. Passages that you didn't even really have to work at remembering because they were so meaningful to you and because they've just become ingrained in you. They've become a part of you. But for the rest of the summer, we're going to be in this series called Greatest Hits, The Bible on Repeat. Now, there's a lot in the Bible. And for those who aren't overly familiar with the, with the story arc of the Bible, it can feel a little daunting to start reading. Like, where do I start? What are some important passages? Throughout this series, we're going to explore some of the some passages that have long been considered some of the most formational passages in the Bible. And there are some of the passages that we should hold close to our hearts and even take the time to memorize in our lifetimes so that they are embedded in us like the songs that we love so much. Now, all of Scripture is important. Paul wrote, Every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. But there are certain passages that have just stood out throughout the millennia. We're only going to be covering like seven or eight in this series. So like Queen's Greatest Hits, there are more great songs than what we could actually fit into this series. But hopefully this series will be an encouragement for you as we look at some of these really important passages, especially if you're somewhat new to the Bible. I also hope that this, that this series encourages you to memorize some scripture. Remember, this is the Bible on repeat, meaning that we need to keep going back to these passages again and again and again. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your heart, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. The more we have this treasure stored deep within us, the more formational it is in our lives. You may even want to try memorizing the passages that we go through each Sunday. But don't worry, we're just starting off with like two verses today, okay? So it'll be, it'll be an easier one. You may also want to check out this book uh, that I've been reading lately called Scripture by Heart. That um, just has short devotional readings with different practices on how to memorize Scripture. Okay, you guys ready to jump into the first passage? It's going to be in Romans chapter 12. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a device, you can pull that up. Romans chapter 12. Ron is going to come up and read for us. Um, it's just going to be the two, first two verses of Romans 12. Our passage today is Romans 12, 1-2. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, <clears throat> alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, 
what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Ron. In case you didn't know, Ron is the chairman of our elder board as well. All right, Romans chapter 12. The first thing that you've got to notice here is that it's not in the beginning of Romans. We're in chapter 4, and the passage starts off with the word therefore, which means that it's connected to what came before it. And not just the sentence that came before it, but everything that has been written so far in the book of Romans. So all of chapters 1 through 11. So let's read through those quickly so that we can understand what we're doing here. If you've never read through the book of Romans before, or if it's been a while since you've read through it, I highly recommend you just pick it up this week. Read through it. It won't take you too long, just maybe like an hour. You could read through it in a few different sittings if you want to. It's worth your time. So up to this point in the letter, though, Paul, he's been writing about what is. What is the gospel? Who is God? What is his righteousness? What is the nature of salvation? Who is included in that salvation? Chapter 12, though, makes a transition from what is to what ought to be. What our response should be based on the gospel of Jesus, the mercies of God. How we should live as the church, the body of Jesus. And how the gospel should change us from the inside out. So our two little verses here are pretty important. They're a hinge in the whole book. Because everything written so far, chapters 1 through 11, the mercies of God, the result should be a life that looks quite a bit different, chapters 12 through 16. But that's going to happen when we respond to God and to his gospel. That's the sacrifice part of our passage. And let him change us from the inside out. That's the renewal part. That's what we see in these verses. We respond to God through the gospel, and then he changes us. He renews us so that we can be who we were created to be. This isn't just like some esoteric religious language for us. This is fundamental for all of humanity and to who we are as humans. We are all to be renewed into who we were created to be. And this passage has a lot to do with who we are fundamentally as humanity. We're told to present our bodies as a sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds and to test and approve what is the will of God. Our bodies, our minds, our wills are all core aspects of who we are as humans. Many of you have probably heard of Dallas Willard before. People always told me about him years ago and that I should read him. It took me a while, though, before I actually picked up one of his books But when I did, the first one that I read was Renovation of the Heart, and it had a huge impact on me, and I've reread it since, and I've read many portions of it several times. It just has been such a significant book, and I think actually even John is rereading it right now as well. Willard was an exemplary follower of Jesus, and he was also a philosopher. He was the head of the School of Philosophy at UCLA. 
So he thought a lot about the nature of humanity from a biblical perspective and from a philosophical perspective. In Renovation of the Heart, he says that the fundamental aspects of a person are their mind, which includes their thoughts and feelings, their body, which takes place in space and time, their heart, which is their will and their decisions, their social relations, so all the interactions with others, and then their soul, which is really the composite of all of those things together. Now, none of those things are completely distinct. They are all deeply connected to each other, and they function together. And you can see how the top three really relate to what we're talking about in our passage today, mind, body, and will, fundamental aspects of who we are. The gospel has an impact on our whole being. It affects all of who we are, not just some compartment of our lives, not just some spiritual aspect of our lives, but our whole person in all aspects of our lives. In some way, it kind of relates to good music, right? Because when you have good music, it affects the way you think about things. It may even motivate you to do things. It affects your emotions and your feelings. Maybe it even causes your body to wiggle a little bit. That's what worship to God is. Not necessarily the wiggling part, but the whole thing, you know. Now, what we do here with the songs, what Becca and Seth were leading us in today is one of the ways, we call it worship, but it's one of the ways that we offer ourselves and our worship to God. But what we see in this passage today is that worship is a whole person experience and it takes place in all aspects of our lives. And it's also our whole being that needs to be renewed by the gospel, that needs to be transformed by God. And Paul lays out an argument in the book of Romans that we are completely in need of God's righteousness and his grace in order for that to happen. The body, the mind, and the will, they're mentioned in Romans chapter 1, but in a much different light than in chapter 12. And let me tell you, it's not positive. In fact, if you were just to read the first couple of chapters of, of the book, things are looking pretty bad. It has to do with how Paul is getting us to the point of transformation in chapter 12. So chapter 12 is really connected to chapter 1. So just to give you like a really basic outline of the, of the first part of, of Romans, chapters 1 through 3, the state of humanity, humankind, apart from God. And then some overlap there with chapters 3 through 4. That's the righteousness of God in salvation. Chapters 5 through 8 are freedom through God's grace. And then chapters 9 through 11 are the open invitation of the gospel. So he's working his way toward a positive outcome, but he starts off with what is not going well. He starts off talking about the wrath of God in light of the unrighteousness of humankind. And in the process of talking about how humanity has collectively rejected God, he says, therefore God gave them over 
in the desires of their hearts to impurity. So that's our wills. To dishonor their bodies among themselves. And then a few verses later, he writes, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what should not be done. So in chapter 1, we start off with the impure desires of our hearts or our wills, dishonored bodies, and depraved minds. How's that for a picture of humanity for you? That's a life apart from God. And before you go looking at people outside of the church, because maybe they are apart from God, Paul is writing to all of humanity. He's including you and I in that. And he makes it clear in the passages between chapter 1 and chapter 12 that the only reason why people, or why it's even possible for them to not be like that is because of the righteousness of God and the grace of God through Jesus. That's why Paul says, Therefore, you are without excuse, whoever you are, when you judge someone else. From whatever grounds you judge another, you condemn yourself, because you who judge practice the same things. So we're all in need of transformation and renewal. And the aspects of transformation take place in our bodies and in our minds and in our wills. So let's look at each one of those just briefly here. Verse 1, we're told to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. That's sacrificial language, which is your reasonable service. Okay, second question I'm going to ask you. This one maybe is a little bit tougher than the first one. What do you think it means to present your bodies as a sacrifice? And if you're watching online, feel free to chat it into the, the chat area there. What, do you, what does it mean to present your bodies as a sacrifice? Surrender? Yeah, there's some aspect of surrendering who I am, that's kind of like the sacrifice, right? You're saying, I'm giving this up to you. I'm presenting it to you, God. Yeah, good. Baptism. Baptism is this physical act that we do to show that we are committed to following Jesus and we're a part of his body, the body of Christ, the church. So it's a very physical aspect that we take part in. Good, yeah. There was another one over here. Abandon. Yeah, there's some aspect of maybe that connects to surrender, right? Where we're saying, okay, we're giving this over and entrusting it to God. We are entrusting it to God. Good. Any others? Death. Oh, that's a really interesting one. Yeah, because sacrifice typically means death. When an animal is sacrificed in the Old Testament law, that animal is put to death. But here we're told that the sacrifice is to be alive. But in order to do that, if you read through the first 11 chapters of Romans, it's first through our death, right? We go through a death, uh, an identification of Christ's uh, crucifixion that then gives us life. So yeah, that is an aspect of it as well. 
you got to wonder what the church in Rome, how they received this message. I mean, if they were coming from a Greek philosophical perspective, if they had viewed their body in relation to Platonic thought, in relation to how Plato talked about the body, who didn't believe that the body was a core aspect of our humanity, what would they have thought? For him, when the body dies, the body is gone. The person is the soul, and that lives on forever. The body wasn't something to present to God. It was something to be tolerated and to be satisfied while it was necessary. Plato said, soma sema estin, the body is a tomb. It's the prison of the soul. Maybe you feel that way. It's a common notion even today, in fact, maybe even more so today, to want to divorce ourselves from our bodies and to view our true selves as something internal. Our bodies are of less consequence because my true self is just what's inside. John Stott, who's a British theologian, points out that even in Christian language, we tend to want to offer our hearts, but not also our bodies to God as well. Paul actually writes earlier in the Romans, though, earlier in Romans, he says, Who will rescue me from this body of death? But he doesn't leave it at that. He views the body as something to be redeemed, to be used for righteousness, and ultimately to be resurrected like the body of Jesus so that we always have it. It's not going away. It's not evil or bad or unnecessary. Now, many of us, we may not really like our bodies very much. Maybe we don't because it's not the the shape or the size that we want. It can't do the things that we want it to do. Maybe we deal with chronic pain or disease or disability. But God loves your body and asks you to present it, that you offer it to him, as a living, holy, and pleasing sacrifice. The flip side of hating our bodies is that some of us idolize our bodies and invest way more time and energy into our bodies than other aspects of our life, like renewing our minds and our wills. That too is something that we need to be, that needs to be offered and presented to God, sacrificed when we idolize our bodies. If we're not presenting our our bodies to God, to whom or to what are we presenting them to? to? I shouldn't say to, that's ending on a preposition. Earlier in Romans, Paul writes, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, And do not present your members, your body parts, to sin as an instrument to be used for unrighteousness. But present yourself to God, to those who are alive from the, as those who are alive from the dead, and your members, your body parts, to God as instruments to be used for righteousness. For sin will have no mastery over you, because you are not under law, but under grace." 
This sounds a lot like our passage in chapter 12. In fact, that same word, present, is being used in both. Don't present your bodies to sin, but present your bodies to God as a sacrifice. You're going to present your bodies to something. As someone who knows and has experienced the mercies of God, as someone who knows the righteousness of God and the grace of God through Jesus, we should present our bodies to God to be used for righteousness, alive, active, and wholly set apart and pleasing to God. John Stott wrote, No worship is pleasing to God, which is purely inward, abstract, and mystical. It must express itself in concrete acts of service performed by our bodies. In other words, our faith isn't just internal, connected to our thoughts and feelings, but it must be lived out daily. And these two things are related, the internal and the external. And they inform one another, and they can't be separated from one another because they're both core aspects of who we are as humans. Another quote here for you from Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard. Spiritual formation is also and essentially a bodily process. It cannot succeed unless the body is also transformed. So let me give you a few suggestions on maybe how how you could respond to this in the area of the body. First, just asking yourself, how do you view your body in relation to God? Consider in what ways you offer your body to sin and unrighteousness, and in what ways you offer your body to God and righteousness. Commit more of your physical energy to kingdom endeavors. So our bodies need to be engaged in our worship and in our transformation, but if only our bodies are engaged, if it's only an external thing and the internal aspects of who we are are not affected by it, that's a problem as well. So let's look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Remember from chapter 1 that the mind was depraved. Now the mind is being renewed. It's going from being conformed to this present world or literally to this age to being transformed into alignment with God's will. The present world, or this age, relates to Romans chapter 1 1 through 3. The description of humanity turned away from God is this age that we don't want to be like. It's not what we were created to be like. It's like a dog returning to its vomit, to quote the Proverbs. What we were created to be like is the image of God. Now, humanity collectively turned away from being the image of God, so we don't fully live as the image of God now. So God sent Jesus, his true image, 
so that now we are being transformed back into the image of God, which is the image of Jesus. That's why the whole, the whole outcome of our faith is that we become more Christ-like. The word for transformed here in our passage is only used a few other times in the New Testament. Two of them are from the Gospels where Jesus is transfigured, which is that word, transformed, in front of Peter, James, and John. And it says that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. It's what we might describe as glory. The other place the word is used is in Paul's letter, uh, second letter to the Corinthian church. And we all, with unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What we are being transformed into is something glorious. But it's not our glory. It's the glory of Jesus. We're trading up when we don't conform to the image of this age, but are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. G.K. Beale, he's a theologian, he wrote this really great book called We Become What We Worship. And in it, he says, at the core of our beings, we are imaging creatures. It is not possible to be neutral on this issue. We either reflect the creator or something in creation. We tend to reflect something. In other words, I'm not original. The question is, what are you reflecting? In what ways are you reflecting this world, this age, and in what ways are you reflecting Jesus and his kingdom and his will? The hard part about answering these questions is that it's not completely up to us. Transformed is a passive verb. It's something that happens to us. But it doesn't happen without our participation. And I think that that participation comes in initially with the renewing of our mind. It starts internally and works its way out. Okay, you ready for the third question? How do we renew our minds? It's a God thing. Yeah, like we just said, to be transformed, it's something that's happening to us. So God is definitely at work in that transformation process. 100%, it's a God thing. Yes. Prayer and intention. Yeah, that's really interesting that you mentioned intention. In Renovation of the Heart, Dallas World basically lays out the way that this practically needs to happen in our lives, which is vision, intention, and means. We have to see that it can happen, vision. We have to have intention to do it. We have to want to do it. And there have to be the means for us to experience that as well. So yeah, prayer and intention, good. The Holy Spirit, yes, absolutely. I'm looking out here like, these lights are so bright on I me, mean, I can't see who's talking. Somewhere over here, someone said Holy Spirit. That's awesome, yes. The Holy Spirit working in our lives. Any others? 
Oh yeah, Colossians chapter three. Think of things above, not below, because our lives are hidden with God in Christ. And when Christ is revealed, we will be revealed with him. Who we truly are will be revealed with him. I'm really glad you brought that passage, that passage up. Okay, a couple of thoughts here. Our minds are renewed primarily through the Spirit of God and through the Word of God. Earlier in Romans, Paul wrote, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on things of the Spirit. The Spirit of God sets our minds on the things of God when we are open to the Spirit doing that in our lives. The Holy Spirit is in you, working in your life to sanctify you, to set you apart, and to to continually change you. We can help with that work of the Spirit by creating space in our lives where God has our attention and where we're ready to say yes to the Spirit when prompted. We also renew uh, our minds through the Word of God, which is really at the heart of this series, meditating and memorizing some key formational, read transformational, texts in the Bible. Meditating on these texts on repeat while allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives is going to be a part of that process of renewing our minds. Okay, a couple of possible responses for you here with the mind. What regular rhythms can you incorporate into your life that will be a part of you renewing your mind? And number two, studying the Bible would be a very good one. Jennifer, thank you. Number two, consider what aspects of your life work against renewing your minds. Maybe you think about certain TV consumption, social media, podcast books. What are the things that you're putting in your, in your minds? Okay, so our minds are renewed and we're able to test and approve, it says, what the will of God is. And our bodies are offered to God so we're able to live out the will of God as well. So that brings us to the last of the core aspects of our humanity, our wills. When I was a little kid, around the age of four or five, some of my favorite toys were Transformers. Like this Optimus Prime right here, I had that Optimus Prime. Anytime I was able to get a new toy, it was going to be a Transformer. And of course, The cool thing about Transformers is that they transform. They're like a robot, right, with arms and legs and a head, but then you transform them and they become some sort of vehicle. They're like a car or a jet or a truck, or in the case of Dinobots, a dinosaur. I had a lot of Dinobots too. And of course, there are the good guys, the Autobots, and there are the bad guys, the Decepticons. 
Whenever I would get a new transformer, I would refuse to look at the instructions on how to transform it from one thing to the next. I always wanted to figure it out on my own. And let me tell you, for a four-year-old, some of those transformers were a little bit tough. How does each part twist and turn and fold and bend, and in what order do you have to do it all? And of course, when you first opened up the box, there were like extra pieces that you had to connect, and then there were the stickers that you had to apply as well. There were clear instructions for the transformer that I just ignored. I'd like to figure it out on my own. Well, in our own process of transformation, as we're looking to test and approve what the will of God is, there's a lot of having to figure it out without the instructions. The Holy Spirit is with us in the process, and we have instructions from God in the Bible. But the Bible doesn't tell us every single thing that's right or wrong, or how to make every decision in our lives, or how to respond in every circumstance. That's what it means to test and approve what the will of God is. It's not to approve what is already clearly said is the will of God in the Bible. We don't really have the authority to approve or disapprove of that. It's about all the other situations in your life where the Bible doesn't give you a clear direction, where you have to test and approve what is the will of God in that situation? What is good and pleasing and perfect? Which sounds like a lot of pressure to me. But we need to keep in mind here is that we are in the process of being transformed. We have not been transformed. And also, there isn't always a perfect solution in every situation. One of the verses that I've memorized that uh, I like to think about when considering the will of God comes from the book of Psalms. It says, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye upon you, I will give you counsel. Psalm 32 is a beautiful psalm. You should read it. What drives decisions for you now, though? Is it your body? and what your body desires? Is it your feelings, which is part of your mind? Willard says, a great part of the disaster of contemporary life lies in the fact that it is organized around feelings. People nearly always act on their feelings and think it only right. The will is then left at the mercy of circumstances that evoke feelings. Christian spiritual formation today must squarely confront this fact and overcome it. Because our mind isn't completely renewed, our feelings can't always be the primary driver of our wills in what, when we're seeking what is good and pleasing and perfect for the will of God. One more quote here from Dallas Will. This will be the last one. Speaking about the human will, he says, it is a rich field for the play of good or the play of evil. Part of being renewed, though, is that we actually want to do the will of God. 
A friend of mine recently said when I asked him if he liked a particular thing, he said, I'm interested in being interested. Which means he's not really all that interested, right? The result of our transformation and the renewing of our mind is that our will, our wants and desires, are in line with God's will, his wants and desires. A lot of the time, though, we probably feel like my friend. I want to want the will of God, but I don't know if I really want it right now. Okay, just a couple of things to consider for response. Number one, consider what are the driving factors in many of your daily decisions that you make? In what ways, number two here, in what ways do you consider the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect when making decisions in life? Our worship of God and our transformation in Christ by the Spirit is a whole person experience. It incorporates all of who we are, our bodies and our minds and our wills or our hearts. It also incorporates the social dimensions of our being that Willard says is a core aspect of our personhood. And while we only read the first couple of verses of chapter 12, The entire rest of the chapter is all about the social dimensions of humanity. How do we function? How do we live together in the body of Christ? You should read it. The way that God is changing us is preparing us for the age to come, but it's in process now. We can start to live in that age to come now. And as we prepare for that age to come, We are not to be conformed to this age, which is what Romans 1 through 3 looks like. Or as one translator of the Bible put it, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. You can be sure that the world wants to squeeze you into a mold, but it's the wrong mold for the substance of who, what you and I were created to be. God actually wants to make us fully human, like the glory that we see in Jesus. And as the book of Romans makes clear, God's grace is with you through that process. And God's spirit is in you making that process happen. Those are things that we can trust daily. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your spirit working in our lives, forming us, transforming us, renewing us in our bodies and in our minds and in our hearts. I pray, God, that you would give us an openness to your spirit. Help us to be responsive, to listen, to, uh, to get a sense of what your spirit is saying to us, and to respond to that in a way that shapes our hearts primarily even toward your will and to the things that you desire. 
And I thank you, God, that you, your grace is so unbelievable, so incredible. Each day, it abounds more every day to us, God. Thank you for that. Thank you for saving us through Jesus and giving us your spirit. Amen. This obviously here, when we come to communion and we think about God coming in the flesh, incarnate, and all that he experienced, the emotions, the feelings, what he experienced in his body, and then following the will of God, he said that he said he did all that the Father had commanded him to do. He's fully human. He's the fully humanness that God is making us to be. And the way that that happens is through his very real body that was broken and his very real blood that was poured out as a new covenant for us. When we take his body, when we take his blood, we are identifying ourselves with him in his crucifixion, in his death, so that we can also follow him in resurrection, in new life, as we daily offer ourselves to him in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts. You can take communion now.